Today's daf is Lamed Dalid in Masechet Sukkah. I am recording from Eretz Israel today. And Besad Hashem, we'll resume our live shiurim soon, as soon as we can figure out the schedule. But in the meantime, I'm going to try to record each day and send along a shiur for everyone. The Mishnah on Lamed Gimel Amud Bet at the bottom is where I'm going to start. We're talking about the Arbat Haminim. Um, eventually, Bezvat Hashem, I'm going to go back and record the beginning of the parak. So we have all of these dapim that deal with the Arba'at Aminim, the four species of Sukkot collected together. Just talking about the Arava, the willow. Gzulaf, it's stolen. Viveshaur, it's dried out. It is pasul. There's a discussion about what dried out means, how much is dried out. But definitely, if the leaves are totally black, uh, completely without any moisture at all, that's called Viveshap. If it's a willow that came from an asherah, from an idolatrous tree, a tree that's worshipped as an idol, or from a condemned city uh, where everybody has worshipped idolatry and needs to be destroyed, it is also pasul, as has been taught earlier with regard to the other species. Since the city is condemned and it's going to be destroyed, it's as if that willow is also already destroyed and burnt and doesn't even exist. If the top is cut off, or aleha, or if the uh, if the leaves are uh, according to Rashi, nifrutzu aleha means that the leaves have become detached and are tied on to the stalk of the willow. Others say that nifrutzu has to do with them protruding completely out uh, or drooping com- completely down. But also the tzafzafa is a type of a species that's similar to the willow, but it is pasul kmusha. If it is withered, meaning it's not totally dried out, but it's kind of like withered, or some of the leaves have fallen off, but not most of them, and also a willow that grows in a in a field that is not irrigated, a field that has a natural source of water that it's able to thrive. These are all kosher, um, even though the Torah says that it has to be something that grows, it has to be a willow of the stream or of the river, that doesn't necessarily literally mean that you have to take one that grows uh, by a river. The Gemara says, Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbi thought, Arve Nachal, Nachal, that when it says Arve Nachal, willows of the, of the river, it means those that grow next to the river. Of course, it's talking about Lechat Our Mishnah says that B'diavad, you could pick um, even those that don't grow in the wild. Davar Cher, Arve Nachal, She'ale Shela, Mashuch Kenachal. That it's called Arvenachal, they're called willows of the river because its leaf is long like a river. In other words, that it extends um, out. It's not a rounded type of leaf, but it's a, uh, a leaf that extends. Tanya Idach, another bite says, Arvenachal, Ela Arvenachal, Shelbag Shelharim, Minayin. From the Pasuk saying, Arvenachal, that you have to have willows of the river, that would imply that only those that grow by the river. How do I know that even those that grow, um, by the in a, in a field or in the mountains are also kosher. So Talmud Lomar Ave Arve Nachal, the plural of Arve Nachal tells you that not only the willows that grow exactly in by the river, but even those that grow in other places are also kosher. Mikol Makom, no matter where it comes from. Abba Shaul Omer Arve Shtaim Chadulav Chadamikdash. According to Abba Shaul, no, the word Arve, the plural of Arve. He's not coming to tell you that you can take uh, willows from places other than rivers, but it's coming actually to tell you that uh, there are two aravot of Sukkot. One is lelulav, achad mikdash. One is the one that goes in the lulav with the other three species. And the other one is the willow that is shaken on Hoshana Rabbah. We do it nowadays. It was actually brought in every day in the mikdash. 
We only commemorate it on the last day, Hoshana Rabba. But the point is that that willow is alluded to in the Pasuk as well. Rashi says, Arvei damarqa lo lachshu shel balba, ele lamircha shterch shtei mitzvot shel arava. Chad leogda belolav, chad demikdash. That the reason for the word Arvei is not to tell you something about where you have to pick the willow from, but to tell you that there are two willows that are involved. For Rabbanan, what about the rabbis of Mikdash Minalu? How do they know that you need also a willow for the Bet Mikdash, not just a willow that's part of the Lulav? It says, they, they, learn, it, they learn it from the, uh, an oral tradition going back to Har Sinai. They do not learn it from the Pasuk. That there are three alachot that were received as an oral tradition from Sinai. Rashi explains that these are three subjects that they asked about in the Beit Midrash and tried to find a biblical source and they couldn't find any source or any drashat to support them, but they are oral traditions passed down from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. One of them is Esri Nitziot. Esri Nitziot is referring to the idea that the Shemitah, which actually uh, is coming up in just less than a month, the Shemitah, year, uh, 30 days before that, uh, there are already restrictions on what kind of uh, agricultural work can be done. The Mishnayot and Masachet Shevi'it talk about this extensively. And um, there is a rule that, however, if the uh, work that is being done is being done for the current year's um, uh, uh, plants and not for the next year, then one is allowed to do it. The halacha is that if you have Ten nitiot, you have eser nitiot, the ten saplings that are planted in, uh, in an area which is a, uh, where you would normally plant a, uh, a bet, what's called a betza, which is 50 ama by 50 ama. Um, so that's, uh, you know, if, if you have a, an area which is, as Rashi says, nun ama al nun ama, and within that area of 50 amot squared, you have uh, 10 saplings planted, then you can actually plow the entire area, uh, even beyond those saplings, uh, because it's necessary for those saplings that were planted prior to the Shemitah year to survive, that they be taken care of. So therefore, you're allowed to actually plow the entire area just based on the 10 saplings that are uh, planted within the, what's called the Beit Sa'ah, the 50 by 50 Amma area. That's Allah Chalam Moshe Misenai. And then we have Arava, we have the, uh, the mitzvah that there has to be a willow brought uh, in the Beit HaMikdash during the days of Sukkot, which as I said, we commemorate in Hoshana Rabbah. And then we have Nisu Chamayin, the fact that water is poured on the altar of the Beit HaMikdash during Sukkot is also an oral tradition. Halakha Moshe Misinai, all of them. And that from there you see that this extra Arava that was brought is Halakha Moshe Misinai. It's not learned from the word Arvei of Arvei Nachal. Actually, the Arvei of Arvei Nachal comes to tell you that it could grow in any place. The Arava of the Lulav could grow in any place. That the fact that it mentions Arvei Nachal according to this Braita is to tell you to exclude the Tzaf Tzafah because the Tzaf Tzafah is something similar to a willow but it grows among the mountains. Now it's not about where it grows. It's about the species obviously because it said before that a willow that grows in the mountains would be okay and it would be okay but Tzaf Tzafah is the type of species that's mainly found in the mountains. It's using here the fact that it grows in the mountains as an example, as, a, as an identifier. What's the Pasuk? It says, um, and it's being interpreted, the Gemara will interpret it more later, but what it means is that, uh, that uh, plants that were initially, were initially planted by the water, were made into meaning were made into a... Um, 
a, uh, a, a plant that grows in the mountains and doesn't grow by the water because it's considered a negative because it's not close to a source of irrigation. So that's, the Pasuk says that the thing that was planted by the water is now uh, has now become a tzaftafah. So he said, tzaftafah is something that grows in the mountains. How do you know that's how the pasuk me- what the pasuk means? That it went from something planted by the water to something planted in the mountains. Maybe what it means is that it, it, something planted by the water is the tzaftafah. Meaning that is... Uh, the tzaftafah is the thing that was um, that was planted by the water, and that's why it's saying he made him a tzaftafah, meaning made the thing that was planted by the water a tzaftafah. Not that he uprooted what was planted by the water and planted it somewhere else. Im kain my samo. So if that were the case, though, why would it use the word samo? He made the thing that was by the water into a tzaftafah. So that shows you that tzaftafah is not a name for the thing planted by the water, but it's what the thing planted by the water became because you uprooted it and planted it in the mountains, and that's why that species which doesn't typically grow by water, is the one that is pasul, invalid for Sukkot. Rabbi Baruch said that HaKadosh Baruch Hashem said, Ani amarti rabim. That Hashem said, I wanted the Jewish people to be for me, or before me, like plants that were, uh, that took root by mighty waters. Meaning I wanted them to be like the willows. And they made themselves like the tzaftafah in the mountains, which is uh, a plant that has a harder time getting the water that it needs to thrive. So uh, the pasuk is interpreted here by Rabbi Abau as uh, Hashem placed the Jewish people in the ideal circumstance and they ruined it. And that's why it says that they went from being planted by the waters to becoming a tzaftafah. Some applied this pasuk and the, the uh, analysis of the pasuk directly to the Mishnah rather than having it in the middle of another discussion. As follows, The pasuk says that uh, that which was planted by uh, mighty waters, it was made into a tzaftafah. And matkifla Rabbi Zerah, Rabbi Zerah, Raise an objection. Maybe what the pasuk means in our original version that was Abaye asking the question. Here it's Rabbi Zera asking the question. That how do you know that it means that that that, that what was planted by the water became a tzafzafah? Maybe it means that what is planted by the water is a tzafzafah. So the answer is that no. That uh, if that's true, then why would it say he made it into a tzatzafah? Exactly what we said before, that Hashem placed the Jewish people by the mighty waters so they would have everything they needed and they made themselves into a tzatzafah that longs for water on the mountains. The rabbis taught, How can you tell the difference between arava, which is kasher for the mitzvah, and a tzatzafah, which is not adom, the stem of a kosher willow is red, and its um, and its leaf, leaf is long, and the edge is smooth. Tzafzafa, the tzafzafa is different. It has a white stem, and its leaves are round, and its um, uh, that the the mouth of it, meaning the edge of it, is domele magal, is similar to a sickle, meaning it has it's a serrated um, edge. It's not a smooth edge. Ve'atanya, but then we learned that about the domele magal kasher domele lemasar pasul. Didn't we learn that if it's similar to a magal, if it's similar to 
a, uh, a sickle that's used for harvesting, then it is kasher. But if it's similar to a saw, it's pasul. So that would imply that if it's similar to a sickle, it would be okay. And um, that would be against what we're saying here, because we're saying here that we were saying before that the tzaf had a sickle type um, serration around its edge. So it's a gila. That's talking about the chilfa gila, which is another species. Um, meaning to say that uh, the chilfa gila is actually a willow, and it's kasher, but it has a serrated edge around it. Uh, that serrated edge is um, similar to a sickle and not to a saw. So the point, and Rashi explains the difference between a sickle and a saw, that um, a sickle, all of the, um, all of the uh, parts of the blade, in other words, all of the serration, all of the bumps are facing in the same direction. Um, they're evenly spaced out and they're all facing back towards the, towards the handle of the tool, as opposed to the, um, as opposed to the saw that the, the serration points in all different directions. It's not even. That was the way that they had their saws, that the, the teeth of the saw would point in all different directions. And so the point is that when, that one of the identifying factors of a tzaftzafa as opposed to an arava is that the tzaftzafa has serration that is like a sickle. But you could even have a sometimes a regular willow that has that and it would be kasher. However, even within those things that look like regular willows, if it had serration that looked like a saw that went in all different directions like that, then for sure it would be pasul. So you see from the fact that we say that a certain type of chilfa gila is kosher and a certain type is not, that shows you that it's generally kosher for arava. Because you might have thought that since it has an extra name, chilfa gila, it's not just simply called arava, it wouldn't be valid. Let alone it kasher, kamash malan, it comes to tell you that no, we don't care about the fact that it has an extra name. Um, the mere reality that it is an arava is good enough. How do you know that's not true? Maybe the fact that it has an extra name should make it pasul. Because it says arve nachal in the plural, that means we embrace everything that's included under the species and we don't have to worry. There were three things that, uh, that the name changed from when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and it has halachic significance. What used to be called chalapta in the old days is now called a willow and what used to be called a willow is now called a chalapta. Right? She says, uh, actually he doesn't have chalapta but he has chilfa. Chilfa um, it's not talking about the Chilfa Gilara, she says, but it's talking about Tzafzafa. In other words, what was called once Chilfa is now called Arava, um, meaning that uh, the name's reversed. So, and what was called, what is now called Chilfa is the original Arava. So you have to look for what is now called Chilfa, because what they call Arava today is actually the Tzafzafa, which is no good. What they call Chilfa today is actually what is good uh, for the mitzvah. My nafkami. Now, what difference does it make about this change? The lulav, obviously, to know what goes with your lulav. Now, shipura chatzotzra. It used to be that a shofar was a shofar, and chatzotzra was a was a trumpet. Chatzotzra shipura. They switched the names. They started calling shofarot the chatzotzrot, and they started calling chatzotzrot the trumpets shofarot. So my nafkamina, the shofar shal Rosh Hashanah, in order to know what's used on Rosh Hashanah, you have to know that what they now call shofar is not what you need. You need what they now call chotzetzre. Now, p'torta, 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 p'torta. They used to call one size of table p'torta and the other p'torta, p'torta, p'torta. And then they switched them. They reversed them. One was the small table, and uh, in other words, the um, the uh, the uh, 
uh, and one was a large table, and they reversed it. What used to be called the word that used to be used for the small table is now for the big table, and the used, one that used to be called for the big table is now the small table. So you have to know what the current usage is, because if you order petorta and it's not what you thought, you thought it was the small, and it really turns out to be the large, or or really that wouldn't be as big of an issue as the opposite that you thought you were ordering the large and it comes small. You cannot complain. To the owner. There are two stomachs of the animal. One is called Bekase. One is called Hovlila. And they have different halachot with respect to kashrut of the animal. These are different parts of the stomach. Because we know that if you find a needle in the thickness of the, um, of the beta kosot, so it has to go all the way through the two sides, all the way through in order for that, that to be a trefa. However, um, the other stomach, which uh, which originally was called hovlila, even if it has one side a uh, a hole in it, that would be a uh, that that would make it pasul. Nowadays, the halacha would be reversed. That what they call beta kosot now would be pasul from even one penetration, one half of the wall penetrated, and what is called now hovlila would have the rule that you have to penetrate through both layers in order to make it pasul. Amarava bar Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says, Bavel, Bursif, Bursif, Bavel. What used to be called Bavel is now called Bursif. What used to be called Bursif is now called Bavel. So don't think that because it's called Bavel today, it's talking about the Bavel of the old days. The, the, the relevance of that is for Gitim. When we write a get, it has to be, the place of the get has to be uh, specified. And so therefore we need to know the proper names of the, uh, uh, of the places. Rashi says that it's, that actually, um, that's the way that, uh, um, that uh, that Tosfot explains it actually, I think. But to, the Rashi says get that if you uh, when we learn the Masechet Gitin, we will learn that if somebody brings a a get, if somebody a lot of times Gitin back then were delivered, um, they had shlichut. They would they would deliver the get. They would have a shaliach, a messenger, bring the get. If it came from the rule was that if it came from Eretz Israel. To Bavel or from Eretz Yisrael to Chutz Aretz, it wasn't a problem. But if it came from Chutz Aretz to Eretz Yisrael, they would have to say Bifanai Nechtam, Bifanai Nechtam, that the the uh, the Shaliach, the messenger that brought the get, that let's say the husband sent it from France to Eretz Yisrael, they would have, then the Shaliach, the messenger, would have to say, I saw this written and signed before me, to, in order to validate it, the, that the get was done properly, because they didn't trust necessarily that the people outside of Israel knew what they were doing with Gitin. Now. And since Bavil is like Eretz Israel with regard to Gitin, because Bavil was also a place of great learning, so they trusted that everything was done properly. So if a get was brought from Bavil to Eretz Israel, it would be the same as being brought within Eretz Israel, not not comparable to when it's brought from outside of Eretz Israel, where there's a higher standard. So there wouldn't have to be an extra validation if it was brought from Bavil to Eretz Israel, but that would only apply to the Bavil, the original Bavil, which now is called Bursif, according to this. Now Tosfot says that no, the reason why. Uh, that you need to know the names is, as I said before, because you have to always write the name of the uh, of the city. Nowadays, we do the name of the city where the get is being is being written. It used to be that you would write the name of the city from which the groom or the husband, rather, and the wife came. Um, either way, you would have to know the na- the proper name of the location you're identifying. Now, the next Mishnah says, as we are on Lamedal Namud Bet, Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Shoshad Dasim Ushtei Ravot Lulav Echad Betog Echad Filu Shnayim Tumim Vechad Enokatum. That in order to have a proper lulav, you need three hadasim, two aravot, one lulav, and one etrog. Sounds familiar, right? Even if two of them are ketumim, even if two of the hadasim on top are cut off, and one is not, that's good enough. 
Rabbi Tarfon Omer, Rafilu Shloshan Ketumim. According to Rabbi Tarfon, even if all three of them have the tops cut off, it's no problem because Hadas doesn't have a rule of not having a top cut off. And, uh, and Rabbi Akiva Omer, Kshem Shalu, Lav Echad, Be'atog Echad, just like you have one Lulav and one Be'atog Kach, Hadas Echad, Be'arava Echad, you only need one Hadas and one Arava. Obviously, that's not what we do today, but that was Rabbi Akiva's position. They have one of each. Tanya, Rabbi Ishmael Omer, the bride says, Rabbi Ishmael says, Priye Tadar Echad. It says, you should have the fruit of a beautiful tree. That's one. Kapot marim echad. It says, kapot marim, that's one. Anaf et avot shlosha. From the three words, anaf et avot, we get three hadasim. Arven achal. And we have for the willows, two words. Arven achal, that's two. Which time? Bafilu shnaim tumim, echad esheno katum. But uh, then we saw that Rabbi Shmel went on and said, even if two of the hadasim have the top cut off, and one does not, it's, uh, it's still kasher. Rabbi Tarfan says, that even if all three of them have the top cut off, it's uh, still okay. Rabbi Akiva says, We saw this in the Mishnah already, that according to Rabbi Akiva, you have one of each thing. One hadas, one arava, one etog, one dulav. Do you think that you're going to put the etrog together with the other pieces of the arba'at minim in one bundle? No, because Amar It doesn't say Priyetzadar which would sound like you combine them together. The fruit of the beautiful tree and the palm branch. It says Kapotmarim. In other words, it says Priyetzadar. It says a fruit of a beautiful tree. And then it says Kapotmarim. Uh, so the other three things are connected by a Vav. There's a Vav connecting Hadassim and Aravot back to, um, because, it, because it says, which is the Hadassim, and also the willows. So you have and connecting willow to, uh, to the uh, myrtle, and you have a vav connecting the myrtle to the lulav, but you don't have a vav in between the etrog and the lulav, and that's why you don't have to bundle them together. But how do you know that if you only have uh, less than all four, in other words, you only have three out of the four, or two out of the four, one out of the four, that the mitzvah is not done at all. Since it says ul kachtem, and it looks like the word tam, complete, full. So it has to be a full taking. You have to have all four of the species uh, in order to fulfill the mitzvah. Two or three or one is not enough. Now, according to Rabbi Shmuel, we have a problem because So the question is, If he requires that the hadasim be intact, totally intact, and that the tops are not cut off, so that it should apply to all of them. If he doesn't care about that, then he shouldn't care even about one. In other words, the problem is that according to Rabbi Shmuel, he says that two out of the three hadasim can be broken on top. The question is, why say that? If being broken on top is an issue, so it should apply to all three of them. And if it's not an issue, it shouldn't apply to any of them. So why is it that he, he makes a, a compromise and says that if only one was broken, uh, if, if only one was left intact, rather, that it's still kasher? Well, it seems to be neither here nor there to say that. So it says, Amar bura'a, Amar bi'ami, Chazab Rabbi Shmael. Rabbi Shmael retracted his original position. And now he says you only need... One hadas, and that one hadas has to have its top intact. So that's why he said, even if only one is intact, because <laughs> he was saying that even if you had only one, it would also be acceptable. Rabbi Ishmael said in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, in the name of Shmuel, that the halacha follows Rabbi Tarfon. And this follows Shmuel's opinion. Because Shmuel said to those who were selling the myrtle branches, Ashvu you need to uh, make fair prices 
and uh, not try to raise the price because you know everybody's looking for a lulav and a trog right now. You have to give fair prices because if you don't, I'm going to tell everyone like Rabbi Tarfon that you only need one hadas and it will ruin your business. So the question is, why did he say if you don't sell people things for free, for fair, a fair price, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to rule like Rabbi Ishmael. He could have just said, I'm going to rule like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is even more lenient. He says you only need one Hadas and one Arava and one Dulav and one Adrog. So why does he go with Rabbi Ishmael? What's the reason to say I'm going to follow Rabbi, Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael's opinion? I'm sorry, Rabbi Tarfon's opinion. Uh, so why does it, why doesn't he say, uh, you know, since Rabbi Tarfon is the one who said that you can have, um, all three of them broken. So the question is, uh, why, you know, so why did he decide to say Rabbi Tarfon? Should have gone with Rabbi Akiva is even, is even better. Because Rabbi, Rabbi Tarfon still requires you to have three had the same. But Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva says only one. So it says, The answer is that even though it's true that Rabbi Akiva says that you only need one, Hadas. So does Rabbi Ishmael say you need only one Hadas? They say that that Hadas has to be fully intact. The broken, the top cannot be broken. Whereas Rabbi Tarfon, even though Rabbi Tarfon requires three Hadasim, requires three Hadasim that are not broken on top. They all have to be fully intact. And that's much more rare. So not, there's still, that's going to affect the business of the Hadasim sellers more than telling people that they only needed one Hadas. It's telling them that they need to have one Hadas that is, uh, that is in its, um, uh, it's in its uh, perfect state. In other words, telling them that they needed to have one in its perfect state would still be more stringent than telling them they needed three in an imperfect state because it's easier to find that. Um, and so the answer is that he's saying the, uh, in order to be lenient on everyone, I would go tell them that they, they need three hadasim, but they can take any hadas, even with the top broken, and that would mean that the people will uh, more easily be able to find what they need and it will, uh, it will not be as much as lucrative for the sellers anymore as a result of that. As opposed to if they said that you need one, but you need it to be of the best of the same. So you're still going to uh, give some power to the sellers to demand a high price for those had the same that are not damaged.